better than spilling tiramisu on your xbox 360 controller it's the this game we podcast with me chris and me ashley hello everybody not a fan of that one not really no i i didn't even react but you know because why why tiramisu it happened to me once genuinely happened to me i settled down to watch an episode of downton abbey with my on dvd so i was using the xbox 360 dvd control the d yep this is like you know seven or eight years ago yeah dvds were a thing right even so and I had a lovely bowl of tiramisu, and I somehow managed to spill it all over the Xbox 360 controller. So I got really annoyed. And I then tried to take the Xbox 360 controller apart to clean it, because it got all sticky and gummed up with all the tiramisu gunk. It didn't work. So then I then went down this whole avenue, because I have a white Xbox 360. I then went down this avenue of trying to get a new one that was wireless and also white, which is like finding needle in a haystack. Couldn't find them anywhere. And then I realised, actually, it doesn't really matter what colour I need. I'll just get a black one instead. So I got a black one. End of story. The problem wasn't the DVD. The problem was the Downton Abbey. I don't understand... It makes it worse that it's on DVD because you've gone out and invested some extra money into the whole affair. God bought it as a present, mate. Well, by who? Mum. Mm. Well, commiserations. Have you ever it? No, I don't want to. I'm really just not into any of that shite. Exactly. I didn't think I'd like it. And that's why Mum bought it. She said, oh, yeah, you'll really like it. Just trust me. And I fell in love with it. I thought you liked that story because it's really bougie as well. With tiramisu and Downton and whatever. Yeah. You're not impressed only of it, are you? Par for the course, though, that, isn't it? So none of it's really a surprise. <laughs> Me being bougie or you being unimpressed or, or both? Well, both, I guess, isn't it? Yeah. Haven't Just thought you about that. Tell you what game we're playing this week. Yeah, please. You're better. It's this game where you play as an invertebrate that's been gifted with powers. It's known for its surreal humour and its creator has been justifiably cancelled of late. Is it Rayman? No. I don't think Michael Ansel's been cancelled, to my knowledge. Um, I'm pretty sure he has, but... Oh, okay. Yeah, he had to leave Ubisoft, didn't he? I think he was one oh, of the... yeah. Yeah. I think All he right. was one of the baddies at Ubisoft that oh, they no. were hanging on to for dear life. This guy's by another baddie. <laughs> is it? Yeah. It doesn't really make sense anyway, the answer, because he's not really an invertebrate, is he? But he looks very squashy in his head floats above his i don't really know what you call that it's not you it's a one step beyond invertebrate that i guess it's got no no backbone no nothing there no no nothing um no okay go on earthworm jim oh yeah of course right okay earthworm jim the number one number one i absolutely adored this game as you'll find out during the course of this episode and i never played number two which no i don't know why that happened I've tried to... I've Maybe tried to money was tight. Possibly. I seem to remember that trying to find the second one was... It was quite difficult to pick up. Mm, maybe. What time, What year did it come out? Uh, 95. Is that the first one? first one's 94. The second one came out 95, 95. Which I guess is maybe towards the end of the Mega Drive's lifespan. Yeah, that's what I was wondering, whether it was a, a late game that maybe just didn't get very many prints or something like that. Mm. Um, John Burton, is it? Was he involved in this? No, it's... Doug Ten Naple, I'm assuming I'm pronouncing that correctly. Is this the cancelled guy? Yeah, he's the cancelled guy. Right, I I wasn't meaning to imply that John Burton was cancelled. Yeah, let's just uh, like. <laughs> but I then. thought he was involved in Earthworm Jim for some reason. Maybe I'm just wrong. No, so I'll, I'll share with the listeners what I said to Ashley before we started recording. When I make notes for each episode, they usually last a page, page and a half in my notebook. I've got this one. I've ended up writing down four pages of all different bits because the the history of Earthworm Jim is incredibly long and checkered a lot more so than i ever thought it would be i thought it'd be quite easy to sit down and bosh out some notes for this but it ends up taking ages so strapping everybody you got four pages worth of information to download into your brain quality pros uh, let's get this out of the way why is this bloke oh, what's his name doug templeman doug ten naple ten naple is t-e-n-n-a-p-e-l and the second n is capitalized which is very strange but uh that's his name yeah over no it. never heard of it him, to be honest. Why is he a baddie? During his career, he became friends with Andrew Breitbart. Okay, here we go. <laughs> nice start. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He did create Earthworm Jim. He, he was involved in a few of the bits and bobs that, that weren't all bad, but that was the sort of start of maybe where things turned for Doug. Mm. He, online, is quite famous for being incredibly vocal against the LGBTQ plus community um, mm. to the to the extent of saying that he was against same-sex marriage and and again listeners may well have worked out my national political leanings through listening to episodes but the fact that um he 
was an avid supporter of Trump, that coupled with the same-sex marriage thing makes me not uh, want to uh, support him particularly. So there's a 27 Kotaku article where someone wrote about Earthwind Jim and said, well, actually, it's not all that it's cracked up to be. And I think it's maybe, it's quite... Um, quite mean-spirited when this was written about i thought all well, that article sounds like yeah it must be really you know really attacking earthworm jim and i found the article and it's not very long and isn't particularly it doesn't really go for the juggler of the game in any way shape or form but the person who who wrote the article is transgender and dug 10 napal as part of his angst about this article purposefully referred to the author using the wrong gender pronoun just to kind of <laughs> prove a point right yeah okay I mean, I don't so really do, know do, how do. to respond yeah. to that. You don't need the Trump qualifier, really, do you? To to sort of, um, I don't. I'm not really a fan of this man. No, understandably, the internet turned against him when all these things happened, and his uh, cr- I, career. I assume when you say the internet, you mean a subset of the internet, because there is also a large subset of the internet that uh, will, are, are presumably championing him. Presumably, I, I didn't look into that particularly because I didn't really want to spend more time dwelling on him than I needed to for obvious reasons. I wanted to mm. really look into Earthworm and Jim. I'm- Let's move on to the the meat stuff because um, I remember liking Earthworm Jim. I remember like I remember enjoying the humour. When I say Earthworm Jim, I mean mm. the series as opposed to mm-hmm. the game. Uh, having said that, I I have played the game in more recent years and think it's pretty good as far as i remember when i say recent years i mean probably mid mid 2000s so so it's like 15 years ago yeah but when i I said i said in recent years because it came out in 1994 as you said so Mm. it's it's a little bit more recent than that and also i in my head it feels like the last 20 years have actually happened over the space of about five whereas the first (laughs) the first 12 maybe years of my life actually felt like 12 or maybe even longer than that. God, what a morose and somber start my episode has been so far. It has. I haven't played this game for a very long time, probably even longer than what uh, the, than you. So I'm quite looking forward to this because I, I really enjoyed the game as well. You, you mentioned the TV show already. So the TV show is I got into, I think, before the game, really. Earthwind Jim in the TV show, voiced by, I found out today, Dan Castellaneta, a.k.a. Homer Simpson. Yeah, so I could have guessed that. I didn't know that, but I could have guessed that. What else do you remember about the TV show, then? I I remember it having, uh, and this probably is no surprise, an irreverent sense of humour. Yeah, absolutely. It sort of stands in my mind alongside Ren and Stimpy and things like that, maybe a little bit of Rocco's Modern Life. And it was zany and silly. It was also really well animated. I I really liked the animation. I remember the the theme tune very clearly. The theme tune was amazing. Amazing. Don't remember it at all. How's it go? So it goes like Earthworm Jim. Da, 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 da. Earthworm Jim. Da, 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 da. Yeah. Yes, I do remember it now. The theme tunes for shows were a lot better then, weren't they? I mean, you haven't uh, good, done a particularly good rendition of that, but it it w- is come good. On. And there were things like Power Rangers. That was a real strong theme tune, even if you didn't like. Yeah, that was good. Even if you didn't like the show, was... Rocco's Modern Life. That was amazing. Rude Dog. Those are good ones. DC Superhero Girls, which my daughter really likes. That's got a, that's, that's got a, a, a rocking theme tune. Okay. Miraculous. Little Howard's Big Questions, although that's been off television for a long, long time. Sounds questionable. It was good. The game itself, then, to get back on the game, because I want to talk about the TV show. I've got, like I said, I've got this enormous history of Earthwind Jim. I thought I'd look online and find Earthwind Jim is developed by this company. It came out this year, the end. But there's there's a lot to cover. So I do want to talk about the TV show in a bit, a bit more detail in a bit. So the game itself came out in late 94 around the world on the Mega Drive and the SNES initially. It was then ported during 1995 to the Game Boy, Game Gear, Windows 95, MS-DOS, and then a special edition came out on the Mega CD. Then, and you all like this fact, it came out on the Master System in Brazil in 1996. For anyone that hasn't listened to previous episodes or doesn't know about the Master System phenomenon in Brazil, the Brazilian market for the Master System was massive, largely because it was extremely cheap to, to manufacture. And they actually they set up factories to make Master Systems specifically in, in Brazil for Brazil so that they didn't have to deal with import costs, which cripple a lot of the consoles that, that have released before and since. Yeah, it was imported to the Game Boy Advance in 2001 and apparently was absolutely terrible as a port and did not play very well at all. But the rest of them are generally considered to be very, very good. I think I got the game in 
1997. I either myself and my brother got it, and it was definitely secondhand because it had an electronics boutique sticker in the top right corner, which I can distinctly remember as well. So I was playing this around 97 when I was about 10 or 11. The humour of the game, which you've mentioned already, it's got a very zany, surreal sense of humour. Around this sort of time, I was getting into things like Harry Hill, which I absolutely adored, still absolutely adore, and my parents hated Harry Hill, just couldn't understand him whatsoever. There were things like Digitizer, which was the gaming pages on Teletext on Channel 4, which again had quite an absurd sense of humour, which I lapped up. And, and then there was also This Morning with Richard, Not Judy, which I remember finding absolutely hilarious. Uh, not really understanding why I found it hilarious, but really enjoying it. So that was Stuart Lee and Richard Herring's show that was broadcast at lunchtimes on a Sunday on BBC Two Live, despite having some very questionable content in it. So Earthworm Jim fit in really well with that kind of my burgeoning, developing sense of humour of, of sort of things being quite strange and, and mm. odd. The 90s was a breeding ground for that whole sense of humour. I wonder if it actually came out of... It, so I don't know, so we won't be able to talk this out i don't imagine but i wonder if it came out of like the alternative comedy movement that started in the 80s and maybe that has influenced sort of trickled down into children's media by the 90s and so you do get all of these quite zany quite strange quite off the wall Mm. irreverent children's television programs no that's probably a fair point and i guess it carried on look at spongebob which was massively successful and still massively successful and that's probably within that lineage as well you do get modern kids tv shows i don't know if you ever watched hey dougie but some of the stuff in hey dougie is is very very clever and also very funny and it's not surreal in the same sense as some of the other programs we talked about but it does have elements in it that i think are very clever and that's also there's there's some episodes of that you can tell it's been made by people who like games there's one episode that's an extended computer game and it's really well animated and it's uh it's very clever as well well hey dougie is a perfect case in point of things filtering through over time because hey dougie has the stylings that you might be very polished version i can't believe we're talking about hey dougie which is on cbb's it has the stylings of early internet mm. things like weeble and bob so the the famous i think thing from hey doggy at least in this country was stick the stick song yep. stick 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 sticky stick absolute banger it was it was amazing it was genuinely amazing and it it escaped the sphere of hey doggy and just became like part of the public conscious. They did a cover for the, the football as well. Didn't you and Hannah come around and I showed you it? Hey, look at this that, that uh, my daughter's really got into and I put on the stick badge. It could well have been. I can't remember where it came from. That's where it is now. It's just in the ether. So it, yeah. it might have been you. It might have been from somewhere else. But yeah, that that is the cycle that I've just proposed from the 80s into the 90s actually playing out in the noughties and the and the 2010s one thing in hey dougie as well just to lead back to what we said about doug tenaple earlier in the episode is there's a gay crab in it who um, oh, is there? there's a crab who has a partner called nigel so take that doug tenaple you should go and have a little look at, at hey dougie just to satisfy curiosity it'll be available on youtube i imagine as as are we actually in in a form Twitter, Facebook as well, just in case you uh, you want to chat with us or something. And Instagram, that was very smooth there. Actually, while talking about things aimed at children, this brings me nicely into the story of Earthworm Jim, because it was originally founded by a toy company called Playmates Toys. That sounds a little bit questionable as well. No? How so? Uh, because the Playboy Playmate is a, oh, mm, I a thing, isn't it? And yeah. yeah, I don't know, just, just occurred to me. Playmates Toys were pretty big in the late 80s, so for Earthwind Jim, we're going back to the late 80s now. They were the company that licensed Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles in 1989 and got really big off the back of that and have done lots of licenses since. Uh, They're based in Hong Kong. They saw the burgeoning video game market in 1993 and decided that they wanted to get in on that. But rather than jumping on an existing franchise, they wanted to, using Sonic as an inspiration... Um, They wanted to create a video game that they could then market and make toys and a TV show based on that video game that they had a bit more ownership of, which I I thought was quite unusual because it's usually the other way around. You've got the TV show or the the video game or whatever, and then the toys come out based on that, whereas this company, they wanted it to be this way. So they contacted... I I looked into how this, this works, and I couldn't find any details specifically about this so it gets a little bit hazy at this point at some point within this playmates toys wanting to make a video game 
Doug Tennaple got involved. Now, he had been an animator on Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, the TV show, which we talked about way back in our Gremlins episode, in I think episode five or something. He then got involved in the video game industry and he worked on Jurassic Park, Ren and Stimpy and Jungle Book which we talked about more recently, episode 53. So within that, I tried to find out what his role was on the Jungle Book game. He worked on the SNES and Mega Drive versions within the art department, but I couldn't find anything within that. So I, I can't find what he did on Jurassic Park or Ren Stimpy or whatever, just that he was somewhere in the, in the ether. In 1994, he created Earthworm Jim, I think as basically a sketch for a character. So we'll park to 10 April to one side then and go back to Playmates Toys. Playmate Toys had contacted Shiny Entertainment. Shiny Entertainment is the company which listeners might remember from, again, episode 53 of The Jungle Book. It was the company that had been set up by David Perry. Not Dave Perry, the games master sulker. David Perry, the guy who had started developing The Jungle Book and then left to form his own company, Shiny Entertainment. Shiny Entertainment was founded in October 1993, as I said, during the development of The Jungle Book. That company was then contacted by Playmates Toys to say, we want to make a computer game. Will you be the company that will make it for us? And David Perry, quite shrewdly, managed to negotiate a deal where Playmates would fund Shiny Entertainment um, for the foreseeable future in exchange for the publishing rights to their first three games. At some point during this whole process going back and forth, presumably when they were thinking, okay, we've got a deal, we've got a company who's going to publish our games, what on earth can we create a game of? Doug Tenapel and David Perry met up and Doug Tenapel showed David Perry, I've got a sketch of this Earthworm character, what do you think? And David Perry really liked it and that's the genesis of Earthworm Jim. Doug Tenapel was brought in within Shiny Entertainment to work on the game. He helped the game design, create levels and even voiced Earthworm Jim in the game itself. Right, okay. We're now in early 1994. Shiny Entertainment has got this game that they want to create, Earthworm Jim. They've got a company that are going to fund it and publish it, and they've started developing it. However, Playmates then get back in contact with Shiny Entertainment and say, right, okay, you've got a game, but we want a TV show because we want a TV show to promote the toys that we're going to make that are going to promote the game that you're making. So David Perry then went and met with Universal Studios of all companies who said they do TV series if Playmates did the toys. So they had this stalemate with Shiny Entertainment, Universal Studios and Playmates Toys all wanting to create different separate parts of this Earthworm Jim pie. Mm. And and that Universal said we'll do it if they, but they've got to do it first. Playmates saying we'll do it, but they've got to do it first. So David Perry decided to host a dinner party. <laughs> between the heads of Universal and Playmates, where he he basically forced them to say, okay, we will want to be part of this. Let's let's just agree here to, to do it. And and it worked. Yeah. So Earthworm Jim, as a franchise, was born out of this dinner party that David Perry hosted. Yeah, interesting. That's a nice little genesis for the game. Yeah. At the same time, it's extremely, extremely business, yeah. isn't it? It's, it's very cynical. Business people doing business. Yeah, massively cynical, which I didn't realise it had that birth. And, and it's odds with the game itself again it's been that's so irreverent and surreal and odd to to have been come out of something so clinical is very strange i agree exactly yeah therefore it makes you wonder whether they were looking outward at the things that were popular like ren and stimpy case in point beavers and butthead and things like that and trying to incorporate those things as i said doug ten Naple worked on one of the ren stimpy games so there was some lineage and heritage with ren stimpy already within the company and the game itself the atmosphere and the worlds and the characters of the game themselves were actually a reaction by David Perry. He, he deliberately wanted to have the game be really absurd and weird because games he had worked on up, and, up to that point, so Jungle Book, which we talked about a few times now, Cool Spots, which is a game he also worked on, they were all games that had to fit into a pre-existing license and the characters and suiting the franchises that, that they were built upon. David Perry then wanted this game to be, you know, completely freed of all of those. And he intended the game to be a satirical of platform gaming. I'm not sure personally he was very successful with this. The example given was the fact that the female of the game that you have to rescue is called Princess What's Her Name. And that's a parody of video game characters having to rescue a princess whose name is completely irrelevant and they're just there as someone who needs rescuing. For example, Princess Peach, obviously being the obvious example. At the age of, when I was playing this, 10, 11, never understood that was the joke. I think that's quite layered personally. For a children's franchise yeah yeah and is it the risk actually of uh, reinforcing mm. that as opposed to 
questioning it, but there we go. It happened. No, that's that's a that's a fair point. Some of the characters were also quite weird. There's like Psycho. Do you remember any of any of the the characters? No, not massively well known. I liked um, Professor Monkey for a head. He was he was had an upside down monkey as part of his head, so he could physically turn around and the monkey could scuttle along, and then he'd be hanging. I'll, I'll just pause my potted history of Earthwind in there. I've mentioned my relationship with the game, how I got into it. You said then that you played it. What was your relationship with the game? I remember enjoying it. I remember uh, thinking that it was a good game. It kind of reminds me, in terms of the platforming that happens, it reminds me more of the Lion King game uh, and those Disney platformers than it does maybe a Mario or a Sonic or anything like that. The levels as I remember them, they have that slightly sort of meandering feel that you get on, certainly on that first level of The Lion King where you're climbing up the rocks. That is how I remember the Earthworm Dream game levels being. I particularly remember and it's probably the first level being in the garbage what's it called place you take your rubbish junkyard is the first level's called new junk city yeah the junkyard that's right yeah and you sort of you can you you you're going up it's and down you climb up a conveyor belt is that what you're no no there's like places where you can bounce on rubber tires and yeah, things like that yeah and i think that that junkyard level is the one that i remember most probably because i didn't get much further than that but i can't remember exactly how well i did with this particular game but generally favorable if for the too long didn't read version i used to be able to complete this game but from i also remember it being quite hard and i know my gaming scores got a lot rustier since the mid 90s so I think this is going to be quite difficult tonight. As Ashley has said then, it is a 2D platformer where you've got a gun which is called the Plasma Blaster. I think you have to find ammo for it within the levels, which might be a bit tedious. We'll have to find out when we play it. I don't remember him having a gun. I do remember him being able to whip himself out of his suit and use himself as a grappling hook. That's one of the mechanics. They're pretty much the other mechanics. So you've got the... Earthworm Jim is within this massive suit and the suit can reach up, grab the earthworm side of it and whip it. You can also use that as a hook to traverse across gaps if there's a hook around. I remember the hooks being shiny and that was the the indication that was there Mm. because the levels are are quite dark, I think. There's also, if you jump, you can press the jump button again and the earthworm head spins like a helicopter. You can use that to gently glide down to the ground. So that is a a point where it would be reasonable to ask this question that i was just wondering whether the whipping mechanic whether that was actually from the show because I, I don't remember if he actually did that in the show he definitely did the helicopter head thing in the show but i can't remember doing whipping or grappling with himself having enjoyed the show a lot when i was little uh, the show the tv series was on for two series september 1995 to december 1996 i remember it being shown on channel four early mornings on like a saturday and sunday here and i certainly remember watching it on Nickelodeon at my grandparents house a couple of times as well but I, I don't remember it in any more detail other than that no a slight tangent probably get cut but uh the I remember making a real effort to get up early to watch the children's television programs on a Saturday and Sunday morning as early as I could possibly get up I would the prelude to all of the other stuff including things like Earthworm Jim was Madeline do you remember Madeline a little French girl who lives in an orphanage yeah so I watched quite a film of it in the mid 90s there was yeah was it the mid 90s I thought it was a lot later Mm. than that and and that unfortunately for some strange reason is the program that I remember the best I remember her being insufferable she was a bit precocious yeah precocious is the right word we don't need to get into Madeline I don't think I I feel a little bit sad actually let's have another diversion down another kids tv show why not I really struggle to remember things that I remember enjoying quite a lot, but I remember Madeline quite precisely, even though it was only something that I watched in passing while I was waiting for the good stuff. I remember Earthwind Jim was on either before or after Trapdoor, and I really enjoyed Trapdoor. Yeah, and you see, I don't show. have any recollection of Trapdoor. My friend oh, that I went goodness. to uni with, he has like fond memories of Trapdoor, and it sounds like it was sandwiched in between Madeline and the good stuff the oh, earthworm gem there you go and somehow it's completely passed me by like i didn't even know what trapdoor was until my friend was talking about it and i was like okay what was that i don't know there was another show that used to be on again either before or after earthworm gem and channel four where it was about two blokes that were dressed up as superheroes they went around it was it was like a silent thing would be like mr bean or something but they, it was vaguely educational i remember an episode where they were in old people's home learning how to flower press that is odd <laughs> it was silent and a bit slapstick but then they were sort of gather around this old woman and she was flower pressing because I'd, I'd never heard of that as a and thing. they were superheroes 
Yeah, they were definitely superheroes. All right. Sounds like uh, come outside. I hope I've, if I've misremembered that, or that didn't exist. That's a, a really strange niche thing. And to very specific. Yeah. Weird. Uh, anyway. Earthworm Jim then. Back onto Earthworm Jim. Uh, between each level of the 2D platform, this is Earthworm Jim, between each level there are, are racing levels called Andy Asteroids, which are named after the programmer Andy Aster, who worked on the game. Again, that completely passed me by playing this. Quite obscure reference. These are quite similar to the Sonic 2 bonus level in which you're controlling Jim flying on his well he's got a flying machine called the pocket rocket which um, i'm sure ties in with the uh, nudge nudge wink wink of the game and it's a racing level where you're racing against the psycho character if you beat psycho in the race you just go straight to the next level if you lose against him you then have to do a short boss fight against him which i think is quite a good idea on paper i think in practice could be quite irritating at least it didn't just a game you over or start you straight back at the and at the beginning yeah, of the true. level, fail you out of true. the race. You're given a second option, aren't you? So that's good Yeah. in in a way. The plot of the game is always just because the Earthworm Jim is hanging out in the garden one day. This intergalactic spacesuit lands on him, gives him the powers that of having this suit. And that's that. The baddies okay. in the game, they want the suit for themselves. And Earthworm Jim, for whatever reason, has to save Princess What's-Her-Face. And that is the plot of the game. At the end of the game, she gets squashed by a cow that you... Um, do you remember the cow? Um, no. In the very first level, there is a cow on one side of a seesaw. And yes, you have I to, do. And you drop a yeah. fridge or something on it. Yes, yeah. I do remember that, and actually. Then, and then as you play through the game, occasionally you see the cow flying past in the distance. <laughs> which I always remember really, really made me laugh. You'd be platforming, you know, in one level or just con- really concentrate on what you're doing and then suddenly in the background this cow would just go whizzing past. Absolutely brilliant. Focusing on the Mega Drive version a little bit more then because that is what I played. The Mega Drive version is apparently the superior of the two because it has an extra level called Intestinal Distress which is set inside the guts of some giant creature with a boss called Doc duodenum duodenum i know how to pronounce that word that people use both of those pronunciations so with the fact it's inside the guts of this giant creature is a good um launch point to, to also mention the fact that the game's levels are all over the place one level you might be in a laboratory pressing monkey for a head the next level you're doing bungee jumping but using snots for a, a bungee cord and the next level you're doing something else it's really all over the place tonally i looked into why the Mega Drive version has an extra level, the SNES version does not. And it's because on the Mega Drive, they could compress the game more easily and therefore had room on the cartridge for a bonus level. So they thought, well, let's chuck one in. I'm looking at the cover for the Mega Drive version now, and there is a little sticker on the top right-hand corner next to the title that says 24 Meg, which is quite a large cartridge for the Mega Drive, I think. So they also went to like that extreme, I guess, as well. Well, that ties in with the, what I'm about to say. The art director of the game, Nick Brute, said that Sega asked Shiny to add an exclusive level to the Mega Drive version in exchange for giving them the cartridges at a reduced cost. Right. Business. But Sega only offered them that very late in the submission process and they decided and they decided to take advantage of that. So they managed to design the level code it and test it over the course of one day and that was the day before the game had to be submitted that level was pushed out isn't that incredible yeah and it doesn't crash no not at all i remember that level being really fun well the whole game is really fun but i remember really enjoying that level on mega drive okay bit of some i'm dipping back into my my timeline of the, of the game again now a bit of controversy around the game when it was released there was an advert in america where there's an old lady telling a bedtime story about earthworm jim while eating worms which were plastic props and it was deemed quite graphic and was pulled, which, again, I think goes in with this whole image we've talked about, about Sega being a bit... A little bit were, a little bit where. Although that would be Earthwind Jim that available on the Mega Drive and the SNES, so maybe it's not just a Sega thing there. Mm. The Sega CD version had extra content. It had extended levels. It had another new level added into it. It had a remix soundtrack, and that was the version that was then ported to Windows 95. So you got the situation where there were several different versions of the game available for whatever you were playing it on, which I thought was quite interesting interesting as well. It was also ported in 1995 to the Sega channel under the moniker The Great Earthworm Jim Race. The Sega channel was this proto-internet thing that you had to... Like Satellaview, but for Sega. Absolutely. And it was where you played it online against other people. And the first 200 players to complete the game were able to access a special secret room and were awarded prizes. One of the prizes being toys that were manufactured by Playmates, going back to the whole, the genesis of the game. 
The game reviewed well. Reviewers liked the hand-drawn style. They thought it was innovative and they liked the sense of humour. The toys themselves did come out in late 1995, so about a year after the game first came out and around the time of Earthworm Jim 2 coming out, which only came out a year later, which again I think is pretty impressive. Earthworm Jim appeared as a character in Clay Fighter 63 and a third in 1997. I didn't know that. I didn't know that one either. How long did the show last and when did that start? Two series, September 1995 to December 1996. Okay, so really just covering the period that the games released I guess. Pretty much, yeah. Mm, okay. Bro, is that your four pages? Um, I've, well, I've still got one more page about what happened after this because Earthworm Jim shone brightly and then died, whatever the metaphor is. An absolute death. Yeah, precisely. Even the, the lineage of this game, Earthworm Jim, there was an Earthworm Jim HD remaster and then even that's had some controversy as well, which I, I found out um, during my research as well. So my... my hmm. My, my history of Earthworm Jim will go into the second half, I think, because we've been waffling now for quite a long time. I think it's time we played the game, really. Yep. Okay, cool. has turned earthworm jim not as good as we remembered sadly well and truly turned not happy <laughs> really in some ways in other ways very very happy so let's start it was, on the highs, for me then. not yeah it looked amazing looked really mm. nice so all of those people that were saying in their reviews how beautiful it was hand-drawn animation and all that it, it was it was nice the best thing about the visuals though was the backgrounds so make of that what you will the backgrounds were amazing though the especially level two you said the first level's background reminds you was it 1920s german cinema yeah it did um what a niche reference so we've gone over the, over the course of one episode on earthworm jim we've gone from hey dougie to 1920s german cinema that's it did. quite it a- did it does it does remind me of that i, I don't know what else to say it, it does Catch up on your Weimar cinema and you'll know. Well, I'll uh, I'll be sure to do that. I mean, if you want to talk about Weimar cinema, I'm, I'd be quite happy to forego talking about Earthworm Jim. We could talk about a few, few German films. Earth Weimar. Huh? How about that? Merge two together. I don't know. That doesn't make any sense. It doesn't. The music was lovely as well. The second level began with a sample from Night on Bold Mountain, which we both struggled to remember. I had to Google it to find out, but that was really nice. Yeah. The second level was also set in Heck, and once that sample... Uh, um, was over and done with it then went into elevator music and i remember there being a joke about how well of course elevator music would be what's played in in hell uh, again i was playing this when i was about 10 or 11 i don't really understand what elevator music is i don't think i've actually heard elevator music in real life having even said that now as a 30 oh, never on television yeah i do i really really remember i don't know why but i remember there being news about music in the 90s like actual news at television news do you know why that would be was muzak new in the 90s or something maybe that was the point at which they realized it was irritating but i know that's a thing because of it being a trope that it is irritating i can't think of a time i yes. have actually heard it how bizarre no i maybe it's an american like a very american thing as Possibly. opposed to because we don't really have music or or laughter or fun in britain so <laughs> it's all very that might be why and- Get elevator and you all face forward and don't make eye contact and mm, don't you talk. don't get in an elevator in Britain, do you? Get in a lift and you you don't make eye contact and you don't look in the mirror. You just go up or you go down. I remember when I did theatre studies for my A levels. This really alternative theatre group came in. They did this piece with us about how that you had to enact being in a lift and one of them got in the lift with you and they stood right up close to you, right in your face, and it was all about how uncomfortable that makes you. And even talking about it now. 15 years after that happening, it's still making me uncomfortable. Well, it's confrontational. Yeah, exactly. Not cool. Uh, funny. The game was funny. Even the intro, the Sega when? logo, uh, the the Sega logo had Earthworm Jim posturing going, flexing yeah. his muscles, and then his pants fall down. That made me laugh. Yeah, it was funny, really. There was the, the thing that I thought was the best was when you are dangling off a chain and you press up, and instead of 
sort of lifting his legs up, he, he actually pinches his bottom and lifts himself bodily by the bottom. I thought that was funny. It's really dainty, the way he, he hangs there it as well. It is, yeah. His facial expression and everything. Yeah. The levels being maze-like, I think, was really good as well because it made it... It wasn't a case of navigating from A to B. It was going from A to B by going up and down and all around and going via Q at the same time. Up and down and all around? Absolutely, yeah. Is that a callback to come outside, as mentioned in the first half? Subconsciously, maybe. Is that from come outside? Yeah. The, do you know what come outside is? Yeah, we, we talked about it We're, on, we're on moving this. back to CBBS, have we? All right, yeah, okay. We talked about well, it in, the the, in Gremlins, I think it was again. Did we? Yeah. Right, okay. So this, this is a proper episode of callbacks. And children's television. Uh, it has the lyrics in, in the title song come outside it's uh, look up look down look all around oh well way up high and on the ground i think is the next bit she flies a spotty plane anyway uh, let's talk about earthworm jim i'm sorry i what did you think of the levels i thought structurally they were quite interesting i never felt lost in the levels which was interesting because they are very meandering up and down and all around as you said i can't believe i just repeated that without even thinking about it a complete straight face there were some nice moments where you got to a point in the level and there was off just just off screen or just coming into the into the frame there'd be like a, a life or um, some pickups or power-ups or something like that that you could access if you if you could find the right route to them and i liked that it was a different take on um, sort of that hinting towards secrets that we yeah. talked about when we talked about mario showing you them dangling them in front of you literally and then and then saying well you can get these but you have to work for it i quite liked that as well then the flip side of that were the ones that were positioned above chains which you couldn't get to and they were just there for the sake of it which is utterly pointless so you told me yeah i really don't understand that i was really i was trying hard to figure out how you might get them how whether you but you couldn't jump off chains if you pressed jump you just dropped back mm. off the chain and they had on a number of occasions they had these pickups above the chains directly above the chains as though you could grab them i, I just don't get why you do that if you can't get them when we say chains well just for clarity these are bits that you traverse across level horizontally you don't climb up them so you you, you go from yeah. one ledge to another ledge by swinging across these chains going going across so and then these collectibles as ashley said are, are hanging above the chains if you jump you then fall directly down so they're just there for the sake of it taunting you unnecessarily well, it's not even a case of either it's not even a case of you and i just thinking that it it is because we we thought it was so ridiculous that you checked it out and by all accounts that you could find on the internet it that is the case you, mm. you actually cannot collect those power-ups so it's a very strange and frustrating middle finger to to the player i don't understand i don't understand it the only thing you're gonna achieve with that is to have people waste their time yeah completely. and that might be some time it might be quite a lot of time depending on how persistent you are and tenacious i did say that was maybe part of the game being a satire possibly i think that's giving them slightly too much credit benefit like, of the doubt yeah. yeah just picking up on your point about the meandering levels the second level which i got stuck on for a reason we'll talk about in a few minutes i went on youtube to find a playthrough just to double check i was doing what i should what the game wanted me to do and a, the playthrough on youtube i found of the second level was nine and a half minutes just for the second level of this game you can compare it mm. to sonic 2 where as i've talked about before you can blitz through the first act of emerald hill zone the first zone in less than 30 seconds relatively yeah. easily and then you've got this having a second level being nine and a half minutes it really does put it into comparison so some people might hear value for money in that but the problem really is that it doesn't do anything to maintain engagement and interest along across that length because they're quite repetitive they are very repetitive yeah so they really i i personally feel that they should have been truncated somewhat but then other people would disagree so i am fully aware of that and there were a couple of those nasty gotcha moments that was one in the second level where you went down a slide being chased by a wall of fire and at the bottom of the slide off screen it was a pit which you which i instantly fell into i think you did as well and i thought that was the extremely time, unfair yeah. several moments where falling landed you almost to the beginning of the level as well which i didn't really appreciate had to navigate back to where you were and it was a, a good chunk of the level I, I didn't like that at all we've naturally segued it seems into the negative stuff and have, yeah. the list the list feels a bit too long unfortunately that is really the crux of where we're at with this game isn't it should we maybe go for the top three in the hit parade of 
of negatives for us in gin then um i think that the level length is one of them and the cheap shots are another in the first level in the junkyard you've got guard dogs that bite you and eat you and uh, crows that swoop down at you and they will all too often appear on screen when you can't actually combat them or combat them effectively so you'll be you'll be jumping around on tires which stops you from being able to shoot and renders you only able to whip horizontally whereas normally you can direct the whip up yeah or horizontally um and that means that they are they have free reign to attack you and you can't do anything about it really effectively you just have to take it and and they follow you as well they don't they're not tied to a particular area they will follow you around so until you get to steady ground you're shafted really i didn't like that <laughs> i did find the craze irritating at all but you you were really quite put off by them it was only that really it was when they were following you into places where the game debilitated you such that you couldn't take care of them i thought that was a bit silly there maybe was a a reason that you couldn't whip i didn't like the boss fights in so much as not be able to know whether what i was doing was actually having any impact to the boss at all there was no visual indication there was no health meter or anything at all for the bosses the very first level has a well, i'll say mini boss but it's 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 really quite close to the actual main boss at the end of the level so i'm not really sure what you call it it's this monster made out of junk that attacks you and i discovered the only time at which you can hurt it was when it's it's in one of three different attack modes it took quite a few lives for me to realize that was the only point at which i could attack it and i found that quite frustrating that i was wasting lives doing that it was all just a massive no information like you didn't get any information whatsoever my biggest bugbear with the game so this would be number one on my hit parade was the imprecise controls when you're whipping enemies or hooks to try and swing across things you, you just be you know you do something and then you try and do it again replicate it again afterwards and you would end up hitting or connecting with something completely different it didn't really bother me too much it did make elements of the game quite frustrating like the crows you've mentioned earlier or maybe when i'm trying to attack the boss and i'm not quite landing my uh, the, the point of the whip hitting the boss wasn't quite in the right place but towards the end of the second level there was a bit where you had to jump across a gap using two hooks one after the other so swing on one and then jump off it and then instantly use your whip again to go the other one i must have tried that about 40 times and was unable to do it and in the end i just gave up and just quit the game i just could not do it that was the thing i looked at on youtube to find out am i actually doing this right and turns out i was i just wasn't quite after coming out of that first hook i just could not land that second whip to get across the gap and it then that's it that that was game over for me not literally game over it was I, i did not want to play the game anymore because i just couldn't do it i got so frustrated and that's not that's not fun gameplay, is it? Just trying to jump across a gap over and over. Unfortunately, not. No, that is another bugbear that I sh- shared with you as well. The controls just weren't up to snuff, unfortunately. And it surprises me that this was quite as well received because of that. I think the the controls, when you compare them to other platformers of the time, they just don't hold water, and it's quite a shame really because mm. every if they managed to get that and even and got everything else wrong you still got a good game i'm willing to say i think that if you get your controls wrong on a platformer you can't salvage that by making it look nice yeah completely unfortunately yeah and right. this game did look nice the flip side of all this because we've been misery guts about it haven't we really the flip side to it is i think this game is better than it should have been given given where it was born like given the cynicism that it was born out of given the fact that it was a game designed built built to, be a to sell toys machine. yeah given that, that it's that given that is what it is it's much better than it should have been they they seemed to care a lot more than you know some other entities did or do when they're churning out that kind of thing and you have got a much higher quality product than really should have happened yeah i I used the level slightly cheap to jump around the game and replay some of the levels i really enjoyed as a kid and some of them are fantastic still i really like the level called it's not a problem which is where you're bungee jumping against uh major mucus i think he's called who is you're both tethered by this long string of snot and you have to bash him against the walls that you're bungee off in order to snap his rope and make him fall into the slime below i think that's a great idea for a level so th- there is like you say there is a lot to like about the game i did enjoy at least the first level it just it was that the actual gameplay which at the end of the day as you said is kind of what a platformer 
lives and dies on. That was just the the end of it for me, sadly. Yeah, me too. That feels to me, actually, unless there's anything else you want to talk about, that feels like kind of the end of our assessment of the game. Yep. Yep. Okay, so I'm going to quickly, looking at the time we're on, I'm going to try and whiz through my potted history of Earthworm Jim just to bring uh, listeners and you up to speed on where Earthworm Jim stands as of today, 2021. Earthworm Jim 2 released in late 95. Uh, again, to critical acclaim. And as I said in the first half, I never played um, Earthwind Gym 2, so I don't know how it stands up in comparison. After that came out, Shiny was then bought by Interplay, who are the creators of uh, Fallout. And they also published Baldur's Gate and a few other gameplay titles. So it seems quite an unusual title for them to have acquired. They then released Earthworm Jim 3D on the N64 in late 1999. David Perry and Doug Tenaple were not involved with this at all. They were dismissed during development for unexplained reasons. Oh, right. Unexplained mm. bad reasons, are we thinking? The, all it says is right. unexplained reasons. I, I tried to look into it. And both David Perry and Doug Tenaple hated Earthwind Jim 3D, but legally could do nothing. The game reviewed absolutely terribly and was a complete flop. It was designed to try and time with the TV show, but ultimately came out over three years after the TV show had finished its second wow. series. And... It was just, it did not play well. It didn't control well. It was a 3D game. And in sort of, I mean, at that point, 3D games were not so much in their infancy. There were some really good 3D platformers out there by then, but this was not one of them. They were in their infancy, but there were still some good 3D platformers. Absolutely. Are you suggesting that this suffered from lack of technical know-how? Potentially, In terms yeah. of, yeah. The, and, and a lot of platformers in particular fell into the many, many pitfalls of transitioning from 2D to 3D. Yeah. There was then another Earthwind Jim came called Menace 2 with a Galaxy, which I think is uh, some sort of rap music reference, Menace to Society. Earthworm Jim Menace 2 the Galaxy came out in late 1999 for the Game Boy Color and also reviewed absolutely terribly. So we're looking at the late 90s, Earthworm Jim is completely languishing, he's had two games come out, both of which were appalling. A series reboot was then developed quietly by Atari, who acquired the license in 2006. Yeah. In August 2006, a reboot of the game was rumoured to be 80% complete and was scheduled to be released in 2007. And then due to financial difficulties at the time, Atari then cancelled the project completely. The license was then picked up again by Interplay or the Interplay had the license and leased it to Atari. I'm not quite sure what had happened on the line here, but Interplay then announced in 2008 that there was going to be an Earthworm Jim 4, but nothing has been heard of it since then, yeah, 13 years after that. There is now, at the point we're at now, 2021, a new title is due to be released this year by the original team who produced Earthworm Jim. It's going to come out on the Intellivision Amico this year. Is that including Doug Ten Nipples? I'm not completely sure if it includes Doug Ten Nipples. It's just the original team. As I've said, Doug Ten Nipple is self-publishing at the moment new Earthworm Jim comics and art books on Kickstarter. The Earthworm Jim game that we played tonight was also available on the Mega Drive Mini, so it shows kind of its pedigree and where it fits in amongst the Mega Drive canon. On the Mega Drive Mini, it also includes walkthrough videos and save states, so people who are maybe in the same situation as you and I tonight could then can uh, clip through the clip game. Through. Okay. So that's that's the history of the series where we are now. But just drilling down to Earthworm Jim itself, because even this game has a bit of a checkered um, history as to where it went after this point. As I said in the first half, there were multiple different versions of the game that released on different formats. The Mega Drive version was the edition of the game that came out on the Wii Virtual Console in late 2008, whereas the MS-DOS version of the game, which was the remastered super edition of the game that was originally on the Sega CD, that was the version that came out on goodoldgames.com in October 2008 and on Steam in November 2009. Right. Is there a definitive version of the game? It's, oh, it's pr- I mean, probably the MS-DOS version, the version that was available on Steam and Good Old Games because that has an extra level and it's a copy of extra. Yeah polish earthworm jim hd was then released in 2009 you're looking very confused it is very confusing yeah earthworm jim hd interestingly was made entirely from scratch without any of the original game's code and it included overhauled graphics touchscreen controls and new levels this was released for multiple consoles but notably for the dsi and 3DS as a download which includes the mini game where you had to use the camera to mimic earthworm jim's face to complete some to complete the mini games, which I think is pretty 
pretty clever. This version came out on the Xbox 360 in June 2010 and the PS3 in August 2010 was digital only and it reviewed quite well because it included a um, comic book intro which people seemed to quite like at the time and a four-player multiplayer mode which featured which was levels of this game adapted in order for people to play with their friends simultaneously and people quite liked that. However this version was pulled in February 2018 um, is now not available anywhere at all. This version was also not approved by Doug Ten Naple or Shiny Entertainment and it was part of Interplay basically having the license and they sold it to a developer a development team called Gameloft who then they're the ones who made this HD remake which as I said um, is no longer available and the reviews at the time tied from what you and I have said tonight that it hadn't aged at all well these reviews from 2010 mm. that it hadn't aged at all well and was very very hard i think hard though because it doesn't control very well yeah completely and that is my history of earthworm jim uh that's a wrap brill you've worked hard on that thank you ever so much for bringing all of that encyclopedic information on earthworm jim thank you to everybody that's listened to us today and any other time if you would like to come over to facebook or twitter also youtube and instagram we're available there you can join us for all the other little bits that we do uh if you want to chat to us feel free also like share subscribe all that guff if it's available on your platform thank you again and we'll see you next week ta-ta ta-ta <laughs> oh.